0: Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care.
1: Hello, this is Dr. Jim Morrow. Thank you so much for tuning in again for another episode of To Your Health. We're very excited to be here on April the 21st. I think that's right. 22nd. It is not the 22nd. Is it the, the the big hand is in the way of the date, and I couldn't see what day it was. So my apologies <laughs> to everybody. I didn't mean to discombobulate everybody. April 22nd. I'll look that up next time before we do this, John. And Good idea. <laughs> we're, we're just glad everybody's here. We are once again separated by a great distance. John is in his luxurious studio at home, and I'm in the basement <laughs> talking to you and just thrilled to death to have an opportunity. So thank you so much. I appreciate everyone listening. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening on, and that'll take care of that. And you'll be notified the second and fourth Wednesday when we have a new episode. Uh, today, we're going to talk about something that has gotten to be very dear, near and dear to my heart and which is telemedicine. And before we do that, I want to remind everybody that you can reach out to us. And I encourage you to do that with questions, comments, topic ideas. You can email us at Dr. Jim, drjim, at toyourhealth.md. Or you can tweet us. We are at toyourhealthmd. So two ways you can send us some messages of any kind. We appreciate your contact and appreciate your listening. Um, We are going to talk about telemedicine, but as we have been doing lately, we're going to do a coronavirus update, uh, an update on the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19, the disease process itself. Um, First, we're in Georgia, and so I want to talk a minute about Governor Kemp's decision to, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say open things back up. It's not quite that clear cut, but that's basically what's going on. And uh, this Friday, people will be able to get back to their barbers and nail salons. And on Monday, restaurants and the like will be able to open with some restrictions. And I know they've got to be excited about doing that and getting some more business and getting people back to work and so forth. So uh, whether you fall on the agree or disagree side of that, that's what's happening. Uh, And I can promise you there's not a decision he could have made that would have made everybody happy. And it's uh, the classic rock in a hard place. Uh, As my wife and I say many times, I don't, don't know why anybody would want that job. But that's what's going to be going on. And frankly, I agree with it. I think it's time to get back out and do things. The reason we have been sheltering in place, in case you didn't know, is so that we would not overwhelm the healthcare system. In Italy, they overwhelmed the healthcare system. They were in a position of having to decide Which person to take off the ventilator so they could put a younger, more likely to survive patient on the ventilator. And we never got to that, even in New York City in this country. And now in New York, they are having decreased cases. They've got ventilators uh, to go around and they're in better shape now. And that's a wonderful thing. I would encourage you, if you're uh, looking for data about this, I would encourage you to go to a site that is titled RT.live. That's R as in Robert, T is and Thomas dot live. And on that site, you can see a lot of graphical uh, information represented in graphs, at least. And one thing that I really liked about that site is it shows you the rate of infection, essentially, in every state. And in every state, that rate's going down. It's the number of people who are infected by an infectious person. Now, the number of people that can be infected by an infected person is the r naught value, the R0, r naught value. And that's a constant value. That's always the same. That's what's possible. What's really happening is the RT value. And at RT.live, you can see that in every state, there's a decreasing rate of people getting sick by people who have this virus. So that's very encouraging to me. Uh, And I hope it's a sign of good things to come. So far around the world, there are two and a half million cases of coronavirus infection. There've been over 178,000 deaths and almost 700,000 people have recovered from the infection. In the United States, we've had over 120,000 people hospitalized. In Georgia, we've had 3,800 hospitalized. And the incident rate, which I think is an important number as well, that's how many people per group Get this having or getting or having this infection is 200 people per 100,000. Now, my sister Kari is the math whiz in our family, not me, but that looks to me like 0.2%. Two tenths of 1% of people are getting infected with this virus. And that's nothing like what we thought it was going to be when we first saw the numbers coming out of China. And I'm thrilled that it's that way. And I I hope it's just going to get better and better and better. I get asked three or four times every day about the antibody test to tell you if you've had coronavirus, because I think everybody knows someone who thinks they had it back before anybody was supposed to have it, back in the fall maybe or in January, and it's very possible. It's absolutely possible, and when we have a good antibody test, you'll be able to know that, but the test we have right now, number one, it's not generally available to the public, and number two, it cross-reacts with other coronaviruses, which cause the common cold. And if, if you've ever had a cold, you could test positive for this, and you would think you'd had the COVID-19 when, in fact, you'd had a common cold. So they're still working on that test. Uh, so if you're a patient of mine and you're listening to this, no need to call or write or send up smoke signals. It's not ready yet. That's the bottom line. So here on April the 22nd, got it right that time, John. We're going to talk about telemedicine and telemedicine is something I've long had an interest in. I've been very interested in the possibilities that it held, but we've been under such restrictions for a variety of reasons that you just couldn't use it. It was something we were never able to use. Now there's a variety of ways you can do telemedicine. Uh, One of them is you make a phone call. Okay. You can call the patient on the phone and that is considered a version of telemedicine. You can do a video call like a FaceTime, if you think about it that way. Or there are numerous software solutions out there, uh, one of which we're using at Mara Family Medicine, to uh, communicate with the patient in an audio-video manner. And that works extremely well. I've been very happy with the solution that we've been using, and it works uh, just very, very well. And it's easy for patients. Uh, Certainly, some of my very old patients are not able to do it, but I've been pleased that some of the 83 and 87 year olds just hit the link that we send to them. And there they are talking to me. And it, it really does work well. But the ultimate telemedicine had an opportunity to uh, demo one time with the Georgia Partnership for Telehealth. And it's got a different name now. And I can't remember what it is, but phenomenal people. They're doing work down in south Georgia. So it was started in there all over Georgia now. Uh, but they have hardware medical devices that you can plug into a USB unit. And when I demoed it, I was sitting in my office and coming with a stethoscope that plugged into a USB port. And on the other end was a nurse with a patient in a health facility, the health department. And they had the other half of the stethoscope that goes on the patient that plugged into the USB port. And I could hear this patient's heart and lungs right there in my office and coming. And they were in Vidalia or somewhere, it was amazing, and it worked extremely well. They also had an otoscope for looking at ears for ear infections and the like, and they could they could plug the otoscope into the USB port, put it in the patient's ear canal, and I could see the patient's eardrum and tell if they had a bacterial infection or just fluid or whatever the problem might be. And it's just remarkable. Now, as you might imagine, people don't have that, and that's that's not the kind of telemedicine that we're practicing today. But what we've been doing has served us extremely well, and I'm very happy with it. So if you, if you talk about telling in general, I'm going to cite a few sources so they'll know that I'm giving them credit much as anything. But according to Healthcare Business and Technology, almost 75% of all doctor, urgent care, and ER visits are either unnecessary or could be handled over the phone or video. MedCity News reported that 90% of healthcare executives say their organizations are developing or already have a telehealth application. They may not have been able to use it much until now, but they've had it. The majority of healthcare organizations are increasing or maintaining what they spend on telehealth this year. And according to the American Hospital Association, about 20% of Americans live in rural areas without easy access to primary care or specialty medical services. And that number might be low, in my opinion. And that's an important number because until now, Medicare has not allowed us to use telehealth if we were in an urban area. You had to be in a rural area. And so we, in coming Georgia, being part of Metro Atlanta, we couldn't use it until the pandemic. And then they, Remove that restriction, and we can use it now, as have the other insurance companies. A company named American Well has a telehealth solution that they sell, and they did a survey and found that 65% of consumers want to use telehealth, and certainly that's been my experience here recently. And three-fourths of hospitals are currently using or beginning to implement telehealth into their solutions in the hospital so if if you look at the way things were before the coronavirus back in the old days, we had seriously limited Medicare coverage because of what I said about you had to be in a rural area. but not only that, but you had to be in specific settings. The doctor had to be in the physician office or a hospital, and the patient had to be in a physician office or hospital or health department setting. and it was just incredibly restrictive. and it only covered a limited number of services. And it had to allow real-time two-way video conference capabilities. There was no phone calling allowed in this at all. So some of the changes we needed to bring on, we needed better uh, uh, implementation of the software and the technology. We needed to eliminate the geographic settings limitations because that's obviously a problem. And, And like I said, they've done that with the pandemic. And we need to cover all the services that are safe to provide, not just the limited number that they wanted to. So there were a lot of problems with trying to do telehealth back in the old days. We do need, there is ongoing research into telehealth and the the possibilities, but we need more. And the research that Medicare has done suggests that concerns about increased access to the system, leading to increased spending, are probably overstated. I don't think People want to be involved with a doctor all that much in the first place for the most part. And they're certainly not going to want to do it anymore, whether it's telehealth or in person at the office. There are several programs that the federal government has to try to expand uh, broadband. But these need to be faster in implementation. They need to be more simple. Uh, According to the FCC, there are 34 million Americans that don't have access to adequate broadband. And it's very difficult to do these things without high-speed internet. It's very difficult. There's a large digital divide. Most everybody knows about that. Forty percent of people living in rural areas don't have access. And I can tell you from my experience with TAG Health and the Institute for Healthcare IT and other uh, think tank situations in Georgia that South Georgia is just in areas devoid of internet access. And that hurts them not only in this regard, but as far as school and so forth. And everybody knows Georgia is not in school. Most of the states are not. And the way they're getting educated is over the Internet. And if you don't have it, you're not getting educated. So it's a it's a huge problem. And and we're, we've made some strides. But I'm hoping that it, one of the good things that might come out of this pandemic is that we continue to make strides and to make better strides. Telehealth connects people to the vital health care services they need by using video conferencing, by using remote monitoring. A lot of work is being done in remote monitoring to monitor blood pressure and blood sugar and things like that, and just patients in general. Uh, specialists can do electronic consults and, and can be essentially taking care of a patient who might be 100 miles away from them but they're not able to get there to see the patient and they can do that with telehealth. So the the benefits are just tremendous. Almost every Medicaid program in every state has some type of coverage for telehealth. And that's important in those rural areas because you see more Medicaid patients in those rural areas. Private payers, they're trying to come along. They're being dragged mercilessly into the, the era. But they are getting there, and the pandemic has pushed them to allow this. Uh, But there's still widespread barriers to the adoption of telehealth. Uh, Medicare still limits coverage and payment for a lot of the services. Uh, They're they're better with the pandemic, but it's not what it needs to be. Medicare has expanded payment to clinicians for virtual check-ins, a situation where you leave the hospital after a week in the hospital with pneumonia, and you don't really need to go to the doctor, but maybe the doctor could check on you using this technology. And it could be a very brief thing in a lot of cases, but it would give you an opportunity to be seen by the physician. And there's a lot of benefit to that. And to also ask the questions that you have, which you can almost bet uh, would be there. Another hindrance is cross-state licensure. Uh, the question of, does my malpractice cover me if I'm talking to a patient that doesn't live in my state? And those questions were quickly answered with the pandemic, but they are still questions that have to be answered. And the federal government needs to do more, in my humble opinion, to increase the use of telehealth so that when this is over, we can continue to take care of some of these people who either are unable to get to the office or it's an incredible burden, either physically or financially, for them to get to the office. And I, I hope and pray that we'll be seeing more of this being done because, to me, frankly, this seems to be the right thing to do. Speaking of the right thing to do, at Mara Family Medicine, to us, doing the right thing means taking as good a care of you as we can when you need us. We try not to tell people we can't see you. It drives me crazy when a patient tells me, Well, I wanted to see you Thursday, but I couldn't be seen. So, that to that end, we have a walk-in hour every weekday morning from 7.30 to 8.30. We open in the office in the morning, but we open the door about 7 o'clock. We're putting people in rooms by about 7.30. And from 7.30 to 8.30, you don't need an appointment. And that's our way to bring care back to health care, to be sure that on any given weekday, you can be seen at either Mara Family Medicine Office in Cumming or Milton, Georgia. And I I think of all the things that we try to do right, patients appreciate that kind of access more than anything else. So if you're in need of a family doctor, I hope you will look into Mara Family Medicine. I hope you will choose us. If you can't get to the office, we are seeing new patients on telemedicine as well. So we can do that for you as well, and we hope you'll give us an opportunity. So if you look at telemedicine, as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic. We obviously are seeing a surge of direct-to-consumer telemedicine providers. Um, There's just more than you can count, probably. And these people are operating on a fairly large scale, helping to provide care to patients who might be wondering if they need care Or exhibiting potential symptoms that might be related to the coronavirus. And if you listen to the radio at all, if you ever listen to ESPN radio, I can tell you that you're gonna hear ads to some of these things so that if, if you've got ED, and I'm not pointing any fingers at anybody, but if you've got ED, you can go to them and you can get treated. Well, that's not a physician patient relationship. Don't fool yourself. That's different. You're much better off going to your physician and asking the questions you want to ask than you are dealing with someone on a website that doesn't know you and hadn't had a chance to listen to your ticker or anything else. So don't fall prey to that if you can avoid it. We're also seeing a rapidly increasing number, or need rather, for on-demand acute care. And, And that's pretty obvious too, because we have a lot more people right now who need that kind of service. And with telemedicine, they're going to be able to get it. Teletriage is exploding in the terms of use cases right now because a lot of doctors' offices like mine are talking to people on the phone who sound like they could have the coronavirus. And so we're trying not to bring that into the office. So you talk to them, you do a telemedicine visit, and you decide, do they need to be seen? Do they need to be tested? What needs to be done? And you can deal with that in the vast majority of cases without that person having to come into your office. This limits exposure to providers which is very key, because if a hospital worker is exposed without adequate protection, and you hear a lot about PPE, the personal protective equipment, if they're exposed without adequate protection, they have to be put in self-quarantine for 14 days. No questions asked, no ifs, ands, or buts. They can't work for 14 days. And if that happens many times, you can imagine what's going to happen to your workforce in a hospital. So being able to triage these people using telemedicine is huge. And a lot of times we'll be able to talk to a person or do a telemedicine visit and then send them off site for a test. You can go down to Georgia Tech and get a test and get an answer within, I think it's five minutes. That might be a 45 minute test, but it's one or the other. And it's a whole lot quicker than five to seven days. I can promise you that. And you know whether or not you're presenting a problem or a threat to anyone else. So it's just very important in that regard. But the technology is still new to people. It's not new technology, but it's new to us. And so it does provide some plain catch-up, if you will. Uh, We're just starting to realize that these are essential solutions for keeping potentially infected people out of the office. And as this crisis escalates, if it does, telemedicine is very quickly going to be one of the most critical tools to slow down the spread of COVID-19. There are three main roles for telemedicine and telehealth technologies during this pandemic, during this crisis. The first one is what I mentioned about screening patients remotely, triaging them remotely, keeping potentially infected people out of the hospital and doctor's offices. The second one is to provide routine care for patients with chronic diseases. And they're at risk if they get exposed to the virus. And that's what I'm spending my day doing pretty much, where I would see people in office usually for Blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol checkups and such. We're doing those online now. And really the detriment is that I can't do lab work on them. That's really the biggest thing. Most of the people that I'm seeing for blood pressure follow-ups check their blood pressure at home so they can tell me what the numbers are. But the blood work is what's missing. So uh, I could send them to the lab, to the draw station for blood work. But as I tell them every day, that's where the sick people are going. And I'm trying not to send people there. So we're doing without for three months. And in three months, we'll see them in the office and get them back in there and get back to the usual routine. And the last role that we see is that providers and their staff are certainly not immune to the infection and they're at increased risk. And once tested, then we still have the problem of getting the test back. And while you're waiting for that, you still have to wait, let the provider or the nurse whoever might have gotten exposed wait that time out as well as the patient until you get your answer back. So having the quicker test that we've been having some access to has been a tremendous benefit for us. Here's a shocker for you, though. Telehealth is not perfect. It has its limitations. As I mentioned, the inability to fully examine the patient. You know, we have that hardware, but we don't have that hardware. It's out there, but most people don't have it. The broadband access is a problem. The lab testing is a problem I mentioned. And when you have people who are using these on-demand telemedicine services, it just doesn't provide any continuity. It doesn't provide that relationship that makes people comfortable enough to say, hey, you know, I've also got this other problem that I've hesitated bringing up. So shuffling providers increases the risk that a doctor won't know history won't have notes about care routines, about medication lists, and so forth. And that can obviously be a problem. Healthcare laws, reimbursement. I mean, everybody knows reimbursement is a huge thing. It is in every business, and this is in that regard just a business. So the reimbursement policies are important. And, And privacy protection rules. They had to essentially waive HIPAA because people were going to be using iPhones to talk to patients and, Somebody out there can hack into an iPhone. I never have understood how you do that, but they can hack into an iPhone and listen to the conversations. And John, you might want to remember that. (laughs) So the bottom line is that telehealth helps increase the value of the care and the affordability of the care. This virtual care technology saves patients time and money. It reduces patient transfers, transportation, Reduces emergency department and urgent care center visits, and it delivers savings to payers. And if there's any one thing payers, that's insurance companies like, it's saving money. So that's that's part of the bottom line here. And telehealth can help address physician burnout. If, if, if I'm a physician living in Forsyth County, Georgia, and I practice in Atlanta, I've got a very short trip to burnout because I don't know how people make that, tra- that trip every day, but a lot of them do. But if, you, if you're if you practicing telemedicine, your trip is from your bedroom to your den, or I guess in my case today, the basement. So that's what I got on telemedicine, John.
0: That's pretty awesome. I mean, I guess a couple of questions. One is, um, what did it take to get this ramped up for you? I mean, uh, because obviously the pandemic came out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden you're staying at home, and what, what technology did you have to implement to get this going?
1: Well, Mara Family Medicine was very fortunate in that regard because a few years ago, probably four years ago, I partnered with a company called Village MD, and Village MD is an organization that helps physicians in a variety of ways, and the first one that comes to mind, frankly, is financial. Uh, they help us get better contracts with insurance companies. But the most important one to the the people that we take care of is they help us be better physicians. And they do that by helping us to analyze the data in our uh, EHRs and to be sure that we're contacting people who need it at the time. Be sure we're seeing people that need to be seen if they don't get lost to follow up and so forth. And it's something that most practices just don't have the staff or money to be able to do. And VillageMD has helped us tremendously doing that. So when this started, the pandemic started and became clear that we're going to have to do telemedicine, VillageMD came to us and said, we have a solution that you can use that's web-based, and we've made arrangements for all your providers and all of their providers, which is, I believe, in the neighborhood of 90 in the metro Atlanta area and uh, approaching 2,000 across the country, Uh, will be able to use to contact your patients and conduct office visits via telemedicine. And within, I don't think it was, I don't think it was three days. I think it was within two days. They had logins for everybody to this website. uh, And we are able to go on there and it's just like, I'm looking at you right now, John, on zoom, we're looking at the patient, we're talking to them and it's been all but seamless. And I've been thrilled to death with it. So I appreciate village MD hooking us up with that and, and, Making it clear that it's important the patient get good care
0: and and that was not a paid endorsement by the way, so yeah, so just, it's
1: just i have a, I have a lot of faith in what they do, and I'm very happy to be part of it.
0: yeah, so um, what's the reaction been with patients so far? I mean, just for those of your patients that have not visited through uh, telemedicine uh, what's the reaction of your other patients that have done so?
1: to a person, they love it. You know, they, they all comment on how strange the times are. And the second comment is usually, well, isn't this wonderful that we can see each other this way and do this? Uh, there have been no negatives at all, Mm -hmm. not at all. Uh, No one has questioned the ability to, to practice that way. Uh, it's, it's been very good.
0: So you mentioned that part of the issue here in terms of why this hasn't uh uh taken hold before now is Medicare reimbursement. So is the genie out of the bottle? I mean is it, it, it do you think we're gonna uh be able to put the genie back in the bottle here now that people have gotten a taste of what this uh experience is like
1: well I think that's a sixty four million dollar question. You know inflation brought that up from sixty four thousand dollar question to a sixty four million dollar question. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think patients will desire this. Uh, the question is, what are insurance companies, including Medicare, going to allow? Because they could very easily at the end of the pandemic, whenever that might be, say, OK, no more telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Back to the same rules we had before. Exactly. But if there's a silver lining anywhere in this pandemic, I would hope that one of the things would be I mentioned one earlier, but another thing would be that we are able to continue to do this in some situations for some people. Uh, I think we are proving every single day that it's quality medicine. It's good for the patient. It's good for the system. Uh, It'd be very difficult, I think, for them to uh, justify going back to things as they were before. Mm. Uh, They may do it, but... I think they'll catch a lot of flack over it. And if they catch a lot of flack over it, maybe they won't do it.
0: Now I got to put this out here cause I'm a business guy. Um, you are too, cause you own you own your business, you own your practice. Right. So, um, we've got listeners that have, uh, come to us from Macon. We know of some folks in Macon. We know some folks in other parts of the state. Um, are they able to become patients of Morrow family medicine today?
1: I don't see any reason at all why they couldn't. Um, You know, we can, with telemedicine, we can take care of people anywhere Mm -hmm. with an internet connection. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's a whole lot better than not getting care. Right. And if access is what's keeping them from seeing a family physician, then we would welcome them. Um, but I, I can't be so much of a businessman that I don't say that's not perfect. And there's somebody in Macon probably have to believe there is practicing telemedicine. And then when they need to, they can actually be seen in the office as well, because that obviously is the problem. If they're in Macon, we're not going to see them in our office. It's just not going to happen. If I go down to Perry, Georgia fishing, I might stop in, but that's not too often.
0: Uh, no, you won't stop. you go straight to the to the lake because you want to get there before the fish quit biting. But anyway, that's another subject. Um, no, now, now making may be a bad example. I mean, but if you're talking about a really small, um, town in Georgia, there's a ton of them uh, in Georgia yeah. where you, that you, the folks just do not have access to health care anymore. So for, right. for, in those particular cases, um, why wouldn't, um, the, the rules be changed to allow those folks to have access to the care that you and other quality providers can, can give them.
1: Well, I think it's a good argument. And the the problem is that before the pandemic, they could do telemedicine, but they had to do the kind of telemedicine where they were in a facility and the doctors in a facility and they actually used that hardware I'm talking about, which most people just don't have. Hmm. So if they, if they leave things like they are now, those people can get care via telemedicine. And I can't think of any reason why they shouldn't get that care with more family meds.
0: Gotcha. Now, um, we got, we've got one other quick question (laughs) and I, and I already gave you the heads up on this one. Um, that, that, uh, uh, I got an email from Scott won't use his last name, but Scott on our tinnitus. Yes. Did I get that pronunciation right?
1: You pronounced it like a physician would pronounce
0: it. That's because I've been hanging around a physician. Um, as opposed to tinnitus. Yeah, yes, which is what I used to pronounce it as. But anyway, uh, Scott says that we provided useless information and we shouldn't post anything on tinnitus unless we've got breaking news or hope for a real treatment, and that tinnitus sufferers, which I'm one of them, don't need to be reminded of the same old, same old called treatments. There are none, period, all caps, period.
1: And if you listen to the podcast on tinnitus, you would have heard that, yes, it's incredibly frustrating. No, there's not a good treatment for it. But the reason for the podcast is that everybody wasn't aware of that. And I can appreciate that Scott's probably had tinnitus for some time. He's probably done like so many people and looked into it more ways than you can count, even to the point of printing out a ream of paper, like the one patient I referred to during the podcast, <laughs> that in, in which there was no treatment in the entire ream of paper. Um, but yeah, that's the reason I did the podcast, because people who have that noise need to understand what it is and what it's not, and what's going to happen to them and what's not. And so I really appreciate Scott writing and Scott, I hope you're listening and continue to listen. Um, But I hope you understand that I get it. I can hear it right now. Mm. My wife can hear it right now.
0: Mm.
1: She said she was upset about the podcast because she just thought that was the sound of silence. That's just what silence sounded like. Mm. And now she realizes she got this ringing in her ears. So I created a monster there. Thanks a lot, John.
0: (laughs) Well, and I, I wanted to bring that up, not to put you on the spot. Cause I didn't tell you I was going to bring that one up, but, but, um, you also did an episode on Lyme disease and, and you talked about how there's a lot of treatments out there that are bogus. So, so folks, uh, listen to the episode, not, not, you know, you do a lot of episodes on things that where you, you really poo poo the, the, uh, the whole prospect of it. You did that on the keto diet too. Right. And, and so people need to listen and, and, uh, absorb what you got to say. And, and, uh, what they'll find is that you're, you're not always positive on everything that you do a show on. Right. So
1: like telemedicine, which I am very positive. on.
0: Yeah. I mean, if, if you were, if you were, uh, uh, promising treatments when I, sent you that email and said, Hey, I got this ringing in my ears and I've gone to Dr. Google and it says it's t- tinnitus. I need to come to the office. You you would have said, well, come on in, buddy. I'll give you the treatment. But you didn't do that. You said, get used to it. <laughs> Send me your
1: credit card number and I will hook you up.
0: That's right. You said, just get used to it, pal. So anyway, but uh,
1: I, was, I was thrilled that Scott wrote. Me too. This reminds us that people are out there who are listening and there are people out there who need this information and i appreciate every one of them
0: absolutely it we've got listeners all over the place now and it's it's uh, it's great and we love getting the feedback it's positive or negative it doesn't matter bring it on we we uh, will respond to it so thank you
1: absolutely so for now that is to your help.